Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the DC Batman pod. I already yeah, messed up. Take two. Starstruck. Oh man, just had one too many this morning. Do that in. Anyways, <laughs> Irished up that coffee a little too well. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the DC Batman podcast with no limits. We've got a very special uh, episode today. Let's go around the roundtable real quick. Over in Canada, we got Robin D. Cross. What's happening? In Southern California, we got Legends Lego Batman. Guess who's back? Back again. In New York, we got the Bat Force Times. I am Bat Force Tom, also in uh, Southern California. And our next guest is joining us again for our second annual Halloween Spooktacular. He's an enormously beloved and highly influential comic artist with groundbreaking works in the horror, superhero, and sci-fi genres. If you read comics and you listen to this show, there's no question you know his name and you love his work. Please welcome back the legendary Kelly Jones. Ooh, yes. Yeah. That, that actually, I want to use that like if I go to a restaurant or something. <laughs> <laughs> just blast it on your phone to the waiter. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want that actually everywhere I go now. So I'm going to use that. Oh. That, the, I'm just reading off what you sent me to read. Well, <laughs> did, did it better than I used to. Oh man! So how are you doing, Kelly? Very, very well, thank you. Fantastic. I, I just wanted to point out before we start that we do have a danger of Kelly suddenly ending up in darkness uh, as we. <laughs> now, now, anytime that power outages do happen does anyone in the neighborhood just assume that oh that's just kelly jones covering well, the whole I'm, they figure I'm trying, I'm trying to create life again so <laughs> um uh no it's it's uh just part and parcel of living in california so it happens so it let, happens let, let's um let me ask the most important question we're going to ask tonight before we get started um kelly um have you put your halloween decorations up yet about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and actually, what that really means is just rearranging what's already there. So, <laughs> um, actually, when you uh, – it's it's kind of spread. It used to be I would just have a few things up and not, not the typical stuff that people – but, like, I have all these uh, old horror film lobby cards and stuff, and I would put one or two up, you know, 
where I watch television or something. And it's kind of spread now to where it's, you know, they're in the hall, they're in the front room, they're all over the place. But they're so odd in a good way for like normal people come over and they think it's kind of cool because it's not, you know, it's something you don't really notice until you look. So uh, I always kind of keep the vibe going, you know. That's awesome. Uh, I and I ordered the Halloween Comic Fest 2019 T-shirt. That you Isn't did. that now? Look, that that came out actually pretty good because, you know, I didn't. I I enjoy Halloween in in a like the traditional kids kind of set sense, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it was uh, very cool of them to take that idea and not, you know, just do screaming bloody monsters but a little kid trick-or-treating was was a lot of fun oh, i think it, it came out perfect when robin sent me because robin works at a shop so he's like sees this stuff before anyone and he showed me the image of it, and i was like yeah kelly jones halloween comic books all mixed up in one cauldron i'm like yeah this order me it, one. It, it, i actually was very pleased the people who uh at at diamond when they asked you know they sent me a few examples of things mm. and so i knew i could i could uh, should, you know, do this and let them and let them see it, and and they would go for it, and they did. They were very kind. Uh, I think I I think it worked pretty good because to me it's always pumpkins. You know, you got to have those pumpkins. Just the little kid asking them for t- treats was just you know that's traditional Halloween to me. Mm, yeah, you definitely nailed the the beats on that one. It's just perfect. Well, I always I always said you're synonymous. Well, that's a good segue. Actually, uh, we have quite a few things to talk about, but I wanted to get like last time you were on. Which was amazing. Uh, we we were touching up on Kings of Fear and whatnot, and right. I was pulling it. But I know um, then I stopped and waited because I wanted to read it all in one shot and in hard... one big bingey blast. Oh right. my god! It's <laughs> one orgasmic <laughs> Halloween blast. The um, so the hardcover came out. I think um, two weeks ago or something like that. Yes, yeah, like that. Yeah, not long ago. I have it in my hand right here. I went through it last night. And I want to say to all our listeners and everyone who's re- reposting this episode, I say that Batman Kings of Fear is now required Halloween Batman reading for October. <laughs> I mean, this, like, I was going through it and reading it, and if anything, man, you haven't, not not only have you not lost it at all, but, I mean, you just get, like, better and better. You nailed the artwork in this one, and... I'm sorry, Tim Sarah. I love you, man. He used to have my favorite scarecrow for a while, but nothing's touching your scarecrow in this one. Look, I appreciate it, and Tim is a great artist, and he does do a great scarecrow, so I always have to try to avoid, uh, you know, the influence of Tim. Um, No, look, I appreciate it. Uh, Kings of Fear is always going to be very close to me because, you know, now everything is such a big story with Batman Mm. that Batman's kind of seemed diminished to me, if you understand. It's like no, the stories yeah. are so big, but Batman becomes less of who he is. Yeah. And and I had wanted uh, to do something where you really kind of, it's it's back to who he is, why he does what he does, and actually kind of just show some stuff that I have always carried around in my backpack of what I felt Batman and Gotham were about. I, I've never done Batman, you know, a lot of times I'll ask writers or artists, uh, if you were Batman, and I can't answer that question because I, there's no way for me, as odd as this sounds, I can't get into that. I don't. I wouldn't know because doing what he does is so out of what I'm all about. But I do know how I would be in reacting to him. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I do know how 
that would terrify me. That stuff always played upon me. And I also thought where Kings worked out well was um, it showed some stuff that hadn't, to me, had not been said or seen before. And one of those things in particular was how people, just your general uh, population of Gotham would respond, for example, to the bat signal. Yes, yes. Absolutely. They wouldn't, they, I, that's where it comes from what I mean by I, I don't know what it would be like to be Batman, but I would know what it would be like to be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. So, so when I always thought, well, nobody in, in Gotham would know, I wouldn't know here where I live if they put a big signal up what that would mean. I don't know the backstory, I just would see it. So I would think it's a warning. Yeah. That, and the reason I would think that is I don't get, you know, you never hear where Batman, is mentioned as a hero Mm. he's basically seen as to me i would see him as one of the rogues gallery it's just Mm. he's just the best one of them because uh when you see him fighting them um that's over territory it's over turf it's over something Um, i'm so glad you brought that up because spoiler alert for anyone who didn't read it yet but that part where he's talking to the little girl and she's saying how bad people break the law and he's like you're right and then she asks him do you break the law and right. he can't even say i was like oh. well that was just something that scott peterson and i when we were talking he he had edited batman and and written uh batman things for a long time mm-hmm. and i had just said you know i i felt that some of the really good low-hanging easy fun fruit of batman hadn't been done for a long time just those kind of things yeah uh, that that a lot of stuff with Batman, which makes it cool, people almost seem ashamed of anymore. I mean, I love Bond, James Bond saying his name, shaken, not stirred, all that kind of, the tropes are what you need. It's just, all the rest can be brand new and you do neat things with it. Right. But, but I do think sometimes you have to say, well, why does he do this? Mm, right. Because... And the thing is always, well, they the bad guys always get out. Joker always gets out. Penguin, they all get out. They all do whatever. And then the old thing was, is the city better off with him or without him? And that whole thing. And mine was, well, absolutely it's better off. And it's not about those guys. It's about regular people. Mm. And that's why, that's why I, with Scott, had said, uh, there was a story I'd always wanted to do back when I was doing it regu- uh, regular monthly. And it was simply to be called 2%. Mm. And at the end of that story, which we kind of throw in here, was that Gordon explains that the reason he works with a guy who basically, you know, Batman breaks your Fourth Amendment rights every time he does anything. Uh, Anything he would do if it went through a normal court of law would be thrown out. So why would Gordon, who's so upstanding, work with this guy? Mm. Right. And it would be that Gordon had a secret file where it was that when, for example, the Gotham police would arrest anyone, you had a 90% recidivism rate. Mm. With man just saying, stop it, never do it again, you only had a 2% recidivism rate. Right. Yeah. And people did change their lives. And for whatever reason, it worked. So it was okay that the you know, killer crocs and all the rest get out all the time because that's a handful of guys. The vast majority do change their ways. Mm. And that was a big reason why this, you know, why Batman keeps doing it. It, 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 that always has to be the reason. And he's not tortured and he's not that. It's just, 
it can be a pretty frustrating job, I would imagine. Yeah, especially even for um, Alfred expresses how frustrating it is because Bats is not the only one that's involved. Well, he knew, he knew him as a boy. Again, it's a different perspective. Mm. Uh, he knew him as a kid. He knew what happened to him. He knew why he does what he does. Yeah. Um, so that's a very different that's a very different reason to be involved with Batman. And the fact that he's doing it, rightfully so, Alfred can always say, hey, that's what others are supposed to do. And they can do that. And you can do things other than that. But it's the only way Batman or Bruce can can deal with the hand he was dealt. Right. And, it, and it's a responsibility. So those kind of things, I think a reader, can, I as a fan could relate to it. I had felt those things hadn't really ever been said or seen before. And that's hard to do with a character that's been around 80 years. Yeah. So, so King's King's worked out well for me, I think, uh, more than just the art side of it. I, I was beautifully colored by Michelle. I'm not just handing out compliments because I have to, but she did a great job of coloring. Yeah, she really did. Especially and, with the, the light, that, um, that cool temperature glow on their faces sometimes was a, yeah. a nice touch. Yeah, yeah. She, she, well... I've always told her to kind of emulate four, the old four-color style of coloring. Right. Because I do like that in comics. And I was also very well served by the paper they printed it on, which is more of a matte finish than a glossy. Yeah. So the colors don't bleed into the blacks. The blacks stay very true. Mm. Uh, black is a color to me, so I don't want it overproduced or washed out or lessened in any way. Right. Yeah. So, so that's why I think a lot of it came out very strikingly. It was it was almost as odd as this sounds. Again, it, though it's very primary colored, it it comes off more black and white than typical comics do. Yeah. Well, you are you know in terms of black, you are a master of shadow and understanding. That well, contrast, so. I, I appreciate that. That comes from many years of watching old film noir and Universal mm. horror films, and mm. uh, and uh, I love, uh, for example. Uh, the f photography of uh, Stanley Kubrick. Mm, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff where I just think that sometimes when you work with negative space, uh, you can allow the reader can put more into it than I can. So it's hard. It, oddly enough, God, I keep saying oddly enough, it is harder to work in deep shadow than it is if I was just leaving it open because right. you have to figure out what you're taking out all the time. Mm. You have to you have to really isolate on what's the important image that you want to show. Absolutely. It does take it does take longer, and I you know, but I think the results are. You have a better chance of a book reading well ten years later if you if you put that kind of effort into it. Absolutely, and I'm glad you said that you chose that word effort because I love how you you never cheat us, you never skimp out of anything because. Like every single one of your backgrounds is just so thought out and detailed and everything. I mean, I must say, because there's, there's a handful of guys in the biz right now who uh, skimp on backgrounds, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna... I will uh, look. I'll agree. I think I think there's a couple things. If I was to wave a wand and, and uh, influence the industry, I would return it back to uh, if an artist was going to do a monthly book. He's got to sign up for twelve and do twelve in a row. Yeah, mm, and yeah. and I think I think a lot of comics lose their energy when you keep having a guy only do a few issues here, a few issues there. Um, you have a lot of fill-ins. It you you when you're working with a writer, an energy grows out of that. Right. You also learn to draw a hell of a lot better if you're forced to make a monthly deadline. And I think we've gotten away from imagination and into just technical skill. Mm. 
So what works in Kings of Fear or what works in general for me, I always think, are the ideas over the drawing. The oh, idea. Yeah. So it will always be like how I show something or how I how something's interpreted, and it can be a little thing, um, with or a seemingly little thing, but it will change how people perceive a character. Uh, as clearly, uh, I'm kind of a Rorschach test in a way for people because they'll say, "Well, why is his ears real long and why is his cape so weird?" And I always think, "Well, you know, yes, in a realistic world." In a purely realistic world, he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. You know, I'm doing a comic book, so I don't want to be hamstrung by realistic. What I want to be is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And interesting <laughs> means that in the world that I can show, that's how best he presents himself as a dark shape in a dark alley or a dark room. That he isn't maybe human, mm. that he isn't maybe sane, that he isn't whatever he is because of this fearsome shape. Mm -hmm. And... I've always looked at it that way, that in the books I do, people only get a glimpse of him. Maybe Gordon stands and talks around with him, but hardly anyone else does. Yeah. So when he's doing that, and he's not demonstrative, but I see him also as method acting. When he's Bruce, he's Bruce. But when he's Batman, uh, which is not his real personality, it's, it's his affectation of fear. Mm. That he's, not go he's always going to be in your personal space. He's always going to be looming at you. He's always going to be not showing you everything, and that's why the cape is the way it is. Mm. Um, it's a living thing. He doesn't have a superpower. They all say that. Well, what he has is he. you fill in the blanks with this guy. Yeah. And you do not know what he'll do to you. I don't know. Like I said, I'm a regular guy. I'm walking down the streets of Gotham. All the others are fairly obvious in what they do, but... Batman isn't. He only appears at night, and he only appears in the dark, and he only appears in your room when you didn't know he was there for 10 minutes. And that that's how he works for me. So when I'm drawing him, I don't think there's... Every time I draw Batman, I try to think in every panel that he's in, how best can I get that point across? I never get tired of making that point with him. That's great. That's great. That is great. It's, uh, it's, it's great for us that uh, your ideals in art and your inspirations for your style are what they are. Because if you look at different eras of comics, you can see where the overall style of art shifts yeah. with different times. Like, okay, this is the uh, this is the style people are using now. This is the style people are using now. Yeah. And this isn't to say that you don't grow as an artist yourself, but it's nice for us that we can still pick up a Kelly Jones book and know that it's still going to look like a Kelly Jones book. Well, because I'm competing with myself. And so I, I, it's not that I disregard what's going on in the industry, but I haven't seen it be uh, more, uh, more influential to me than, say, Wally Wood would be, or Graham Engels, or uh, any of the guys that I grew up really digging their work. And, and you, I'll never be around long enough to figure out those guys. So what you do is you add some of that, and then your own experience takes over what works for you and what doesn't. Um, I've, I feel that, uh, one of the, well, you can't be afraid someone's going to not like it either. And I know mm. a lot of people are afraid they won't be liked and, and they take that with them. It, it's very troubling. I look at it this way. I, I will have someone say, I just don't like what you do because the ears of the cape or, uh, how expressionistic things will be. And they'll assume it's because you don't know how to do something or you don't 
uh, you don't have uh, specific skills. And that's because a lot of times, and I mean this is not the way it's going to sound, but they want it more, they want it served more easily. And they want it explained. I'm very big into ambiguity. And I'm very big into the mystery of something, especially a mystery character. So when I'm doing that, uh, I always feel they're not looking at long enough. Not that it will change your mind, but they're not seeing the effort. Mm -hmm. And they're not looking at perhaps the camera angles or the, the choice of camera angles, uh, the, the build of atmosphere, the, the, that my payoffs aren't usually a guy punching somebody. I tend to, and, and I've been rewarded more than most artists, I think, in, in the sense that I think I have a bigger turnover rate of people who will say, yeah, I don't really care for it. And then a few years later, go, yeah, I got warm to it. And then later on, they go, I, I really love this. We'll get that a lot. A social media, if it does one thing, is is it allows for that. But look, I have no trouble if someone doesn't, because the biggest fear I have is they wouldn't. I have a hard time telling who's who anymore. A lot of stuff looks the same to me. Unless I'm well versed into it, I wouldn't know. And in in the times that I came from, you knew instantly who was who. You knew Gene Colan. You, as soon as you saw him, you knew it was him. You knew John Buscema as soon as you saw it. You knew uh, any of the guys that, that I used to just totally walk on broken glass to go get their book. I knew who they were. That meant that they were speaking me or to the reader directly. And that I don't want to lose. I don't want a guy be a guy who just you know endlessly puts in the wrong detail, I should say. I don't care how many laces are in a boot, but I I will draw bricks endlessly in an alley, you know. So, uh, but it achieves an effect. It 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 achieves something. I I leave realism up to the movies. I want this to be a unique, purely comic book experience where you can't get it from anywhere else. It's a great way of looking at it because you know, kind of combining two things that you mentioned, how um, a lot of times it feels like some some artists you know blend together with others. Your style is so unique that it will it will always be unique. It's never going to look like anybody else's, and everyone's always going to be able to look at your stuff and say, "I know exactly who that I is." I thoroughly appreciate that because that that's the thing for me. A long time ago, when I came into this, uh, there was a, I had maybe the difference was I had about a six year period where I couldn't be. I mean, that wasn't being allowed to happen. And though I entered as an inker, I wasn't allowed to ink myself. And that's where it all would come together, right? So I finally, uh, after six years at Marvel, which were pretty good years as far as career goes, I can't complain. They had me on contract. I was getting to do the Micronauts. I, I was fine. But I was ultimately very, I, I, what was in my head wasn't showing up on the paper. And that's not the fault of the inkers. They were told, change things, lessen the amount of light, do more, you know, more of what everyone else was doing. So when I had the good fortune of going to D.C. at the behest of Sam Keith, at that point, I just figured, well, I'll let them fire me, but I'm going to do my own thing. And at that point, uh, D.C. didn't know my history and they weren't trying to make me be anything different. And they just went. And to this day, they're that way. They go, we'll keep going. Do you know? That's I'm not it, it doesn't hamper me there uh, in a sense that at, they want um, they do want that, at least out of me. They, they still want that. What you just said, that it looks myself. I don't feel myself 
being dated at all simply for the reason that it's so personal mm -hmm. that if somebody came to it now it would it would still work because i do put a lot of symbolism in i put a lot of probably overthink it and uh but any comic i do that that i want there to be its own vibe mm. and not just a good technical drawing i there's so many people who do that that's fine but i don't want to be lost in it. i like i said i can't tell these people can draw very very well but i don't they don't put any of their own blood into it yeah, that's well said yeah well you know i mean yeah like i could see how much blood was put into this book because it's just every single page just has just this new idea of angles and design and it's like it's like the scarecrow is changing and evolving throughout the story as well visually i love that it's just yeah he is he remember that that batman's under a little bit of this hallucinogen yeah so i can mess with that but technically there the scarecrow's feeling his oats a little bit mm, right he really feels he's got batman on the ropes and he feels he's going to crack this nugget that even the Joker couldn't do. This, I love how linear it is, too. I mean, this is such a good book where it um, anyone could pick it up and read it. And at the yeah. same time, it also fits into continuity. It's just like yeah. the like that's why I was telling these guys, like, I'm just so happy to still get something like this from Kelly Jones. And it's almost 2020 and we're still getting stuff like this. And, I, and you haven't cut any corners. So no, I, I really look, I agree. And I was very aware of it because you can't come back to a character you've kind of made your name on. And if you do come back to that character, it's always going to look like you, a lot of guys lose a step. They, they don't have that same yep. fire. They don't feel that they have to probably earn it or they've already made their credentials. And and, and absolutely. Mm. But for me, I always have felt that because uh, inherently I'm very aware of the fact that I do it. I, I never thought I did him in, uh, in a different way. But as I did it, I'm not an idiot. I realized I did. And I'm very aware of that. So. I try to not satisfy that part of myself that says, don't irritate people. But I do want to do that part of me that says, what have I not seen? Get more into that world. I'm, I'm very big in Gotham being a character. Yeah. And I think Gotham isn't just a dark, spooky city. It's a living character that that uh, kind of calls the tune. And, and I've always felt um, kind of like um, a haunted house, except it's a city. And it just sort of calls the tune. Didn't you make like, is it um, Arkham or just the building actually come to life in this as well? Uh, uh, yeah, with me, I just turned it into, I was thinking it's uh, a gigantic version of the House of Usher. And it has, to me, very odd architecture. Mm. And it, it's it's a place uh, that that would be the last place I'd send crazy people. Yeah, but for Gotham, it's the first place. I see. Know? I see what you do, man. You're clever because uh, you have. First of all, that's like a Batman animated series esque Batmobile. So that's even crazy, like that. We're, that we're getting something like that. But as he's driving through like this dark, almost Victorian style Gotham, inside the Batmobile are all these different colored lights and technology. Yeah. I I just love that contrast that you play with visually there. Gotham has always been a place that I felt you could have absolute super modern computer right next to a steam train right mm. next to i mean all of this stuff comes together i've always felt that it's kind of a shadowy new york right so you could have in some part an old leftover windmill because the dutch discovered it you know yeah. you could have that and and why not i mean that's the beauty of what we do right you yep. get 
this wide range of stuff. I've never felt I I always wince when someone says, well, there's nothing more. We're out of ideas. We've done everything. And I go, that's insane. Mm, There's that will never end. That's an infinite number of universes you possibly could do with Gotham City and Batman, uh, specifically these characters. So I just think it's visually interesting. Mm. I think I think that when people look at it, if something slows them down to say, hey, what's that? That's a good thing. Um, Good or bad. You have to have people say they know it's you. Yeah. Well, well you I mean, you, to... I think we could agree on the panel that I'd say you have the most recognizable Batman in history. I always said you could look across the street at a little poster of Kelly just Batman. You're going to know exactly whose Batman that is. I, very, it's very kind of you to say. And but it's, it's true, though. It's like I can't look, think of a more recognizable. Years ago, several years ago, probably one of the high watermarks for me was having the chance to sit with Bernie Wrightson. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we were just sitting and talking, and, and Bernie was telling me, you know, I was apologizing to him. <laughs> you know, I said, look, I just love your stuff, and it's been heavily influential to me uh, yeah. because it was, it was just beautiful. Mm. And he said to me this wonderful thing, and he just said, you know, you're an idea guy. And he says, the way you do certain things, I, he says, I get what you mean, but you go off into your own place I I never would have thought of doing this with Batman or this with Bat, uh, Dead Man or this with – and he was just going down the list. And then I realized he was actually looking at what I had done. But it was at that moment that Neil Adams had come up to say hello to Bernie. And Bernie said, mm-hmm. hey, this is Kelly. He says, Kelly. And he turns to some people he was with and he said just what you said. Oh, shit. This, this guy is as as the most recognizable one I've seen. And he loved it. Wow. And wow. I was I, that, you know, I know him a little bit, but I didn't I mean, he just, I hadn't really spoken to him in some time. Mm. So uh, <laughs> he doesn't he, give those out. <laughs> no, he no. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, he had said to me uh, very kindly. He had said, look, you solved me because you don't do dead man the way I do. Everyone who was doing dead man, they did it like tried to do it like me. And you do this really weird thing, mm. this skeletal floating twisted Mm. character and he says and then with batman i was all about this realistic figure and you went the other direction with this cape and cowl Mm. and he loved it i mean it was very very kind of him probably because i i was not trying to be him you know um and i was trying to do my own thing because there is no way to compete with neil adams Mm. yeah there just is no way and i'm a tremendously big fan of neil Mm. so that meant a lot to me, and at that moment, that meant a lot. Because even though you've done it a long time, and you look at stuff, it, it, there is still that part. I mean, for me, I'm still, I will always be, and I know how to do this professionally. I know how to keep a deadline. I know how to read a script and all that. But number one, I'm, I'm untrained, and I'm a fan. So, so at that point, I still see myself that way. That's always going to be there. That's just the existential part of this is... I see myself that way. That's why I say I don't know how to be Batman, but I know how to be afraid of him. Yeah. So, so it's all pure fan. I just get a front row seat on this, mm. and 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 so it does mean a lot. Um, those all those things Neil was giving me a lot of credit for was out of desperation because I can't. I don't have the ability to compete at that level with a Wrightson or an Adams who does. Mm. They 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 had the gift from God literally so uh but i came in there with 
just the absolute love of the medium and and the love of sitting alone with a comic book and loving the fact that they aren't a movie, they aren't a TV show, they aren't a record, they're their own thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want I don't want to be like I, I don't I don't care how Batman's Kevlar armor works. I mean, I, I ultimately in the film that's fine. That's you got to explain to people who don't care about this stuff how does this work? But to me, I I could that's just not on my mind. How, to me, it's like, why does he do it, and and how it does he? How does he deal with this stuff? I mean, all those kind of things, and then just the total aspect of it has to ultimately look good. Mm-hmm. It also that that allows for a lot of artistic freedom on your end when you say, I don't care about the, you know, science behind it, you know his the technology behind everything he's doing. Like, I just want to make a cool looking Batman. And that's why it helps the reader. It helps their imagination flow too, because you know, you're the, what you're doing is you're literally giving us an expansion of an imagination. You know, you're kind of inviting us into yours and allowing us to interpret it on, on, on our end as well. And you mentioned earlier too, about how um, you like seeing the progression of people who may, who may have seen your stuff, you know, early on and they didn't really quite understand it or quote unquote, get it. But as they progress through their reading or art, they actually start to like your stuff. That's exactly what happened with me because when I first saw your Batman stuff, I think I mentioned this the first time. Yeah. I was scared. I was scared shitless. Yeah. I was. I was too young, and I was too scared of the Batman that you drew because I remember being a young kid and picking up picking up a Batman comic off the rack, looking at the cover, and just not even being able to open the cover because I was so scared of how your Batman looked that I, I just told myself, like, I, I'm going to give myself a nightmare. So I put it back, and it was years later to where I was finally, like, old enough to where I looked at it, and I'm like, this is awesome. I, I remember this used to scare me. I would walk in, and I would be scared of this stuff. And I think that's why a lot of your, um, a lot of, a lot of your art and your style has such a, a connection to people who are also into, like, horror movies or who are into, like, horror art or, mm-hmm. and other kinds of things like that, you know. They, uh, they love collecting old horror VHSs. They love Universal Monsters. It's because maybe as a kid, they were scared and it was dangerous and it was, you know, uh, provoking to them. And now it's like they're older and they can kind of put that emotion aside and really enjoy it for what it is. I, I would 100% agree with that. I've worked I, – I have worked with three editors who have said essentially what you've said. <laughs> they didn't like it. They – grew more into it or got had more experience in it and then found later on that it was distilled to to a fine degree what it is they liked Hmm. um and i had to say well i went through that kind of journey too i the hey the first time i saw bernie wrightson's work uh was swamp thing number two and i hated it Hmm. and i wouldn't i it's it because it scared me Mm mm-hmm and I was a kid, and I read The Unmen. And there's all these little bits and pieces of human being walking around. And, you know, they're tearing people apart. It was awful. And I put it down, and I went back to reading my safe Avengers and Fantastic Four and all the rest. But it stayed with me, and I went back a few hours later, and it I had to look again. It's like Pandora's box or the Gorgon or whatever. Uh, and it really affected me. And I found I, I found I liked it, and I don't know I can't really put it into words. I used to love telling both Len and Bernie that story, that 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 there's probably something to that. And when these editors have told me that, when once I've worked with them, and they say, hey, you know, I have to admit, 
you, you really were off-putting to me because it didn't look like Neil and it didn't look like uh, Jim Aparo and it didn't look like whoever. And, uh, and I had to stop at a moment and take that in. And I had felt pretty good about that because uh, when they would ask me how I got to do that, I'd say, well, I was allowed to by Archie Goodwin and by Denny O'Neill, who said, go further with this. Mm, I love those guys. Oh. I, I do, too. And, oh. they, and they, they knew their stuff. They knew what they were asking you because they also did it. And they also mm. had to make their bones. So every once in a while, working with Denny was an absolute pleasure. Same with, with Archie. You didn't hear from them a lot. Mm. If you did, there was a problem. Mm. But what they would do, because they would say, we hired you to do what you do. Those, so, they had to be the best editors. I, I, I would say that what made them so good was you didn't have to do a lot of explaining. Yeah. And that meant either way, not in, hey, I think, you know, I want to do this. They got it. Or you couldn't lie to them about something that sucked and you were trying to convince them it was good. Yeah, I, I think Archie was the reason Jeff Loeb got more confidence as a comic book writer over DC as well. He... I think I think he just had an Archie just had a knack for knowing what's good and what's going to be good and how to let the creators do their thing. You know, that's how we always. Struggle. Well, it's it's uh, I was lucky that I ran into several editors at that very important moment. Uh, one of the best I had, she had told me, look, I really, really don't like your work, but I want you to do more of it. I want you to go further and I'm really going <laughs> to defend your uh, your right to do it mm. because I think you're speaking to a very large number of the audience. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's great. Uh, it, you know, uh, you don't need them to like it. They, you need them to understand it. Yeah. Um, and later but on, that, they do. Yeah. Understanding is, is a big problem in a lot of people's just conception of art. Like I hear people all the time. I Frank Miller is a particular one because he has such a strong style. I often hear people say, oh, Frank Miller can't draw. No, you're very incorrect. They generally show that they don't have a lot of experience in this then. Mm. It shows that they haven't got – they don't know their history. Frank absolutely knows how to draw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Frank is I – would, I would say that if, if Frank – didn't know how to do it, then you wouldn't be arrested by his vision a lot. I mean, you just look at it and you go, that's right on. Mm. Or And even so, uh, what I've always found fascinating with Miller is that I always find something new. And even if I've read it a bunch of times, I'll go back and I'll find something new. A lot of people you can't say that about. You, They pretty much are obvious in what they do. And so I know the guy's thinking, and I know he's thinking not how to impress me, but how to impress himself, mm. or at least try to do it. What happens to is you become kind of you, you kind of become immune to a lot of any of this, and because you're going to hear it. I mean, you go out there and say, "I want to be who you know I believe in this stuff." You're going to hear it. But what happens ultimately is you build a pretty interesting body of work, and that body of work stays in print. And I've been very lucky that everything I do stays in print. Um, and that that uh, for for example, uh, one of the good things with Kings of Fear is it went to a hardcover and sold out. Dude, this oh, so good. And, and they said, okay, we'll do it in a soft cover now. And then they said, and we're going to put it on streaming on their on the DC streaming channel. So you know that it connected very well. It's one of those things. We live in an age now to where a lot of people do want to wait and read the whole thing. Mm. So I remember. Uh, DC being concerned about that because, you know, it's only six issues and it's not a book you had to buy. It's not involved in the year of the villain. It's not involved in, 
you know, any of the stuff they were doing, it was you either liked it or you didn't, mm. you know, but it wasn't necessary to to reading it. And, and uh, you didn't have to connect anything. And I had told him, I said, that was good for me, because what that meant was that when people did read it, they'd find it was absolutely essential Batman, because it's just about Batman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's quintessential Batman storytelling is what it is. Classic. Yeah, classic. And it's a and, treat. Like we, I feel like this is a real treat that came out. Like you and Scott Peterson, definitely delivered a classic. I'm saying like every year October, it's Long Halloween, Haunted Night, and now Kings of Fear. And I, well, I mean, that. it's also great that this kind of story is, you know, a lot of things that um, we're we're nerds, so we love delving into like the really specific storylines and the, you know, the 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 metal and the big the big thing that's involved in all the Justice League. So we kind of like all of it, but we know that that stuff's not for everybody. This is a story that is literally for every Batman fan. Yeah, and that's you know, the point. Yeah, and it is the point. Look, I, I having been around things like Nightfall and stuff, get it. And that is you have to have stuff that brings people in. It has to be done. Uh, there has to be something. But at the same time, you you have to have something that refreshes the older reader and introduces to the new reader. Yes. Because if you don't, people are not going to be able to get <clears throat> they're not going to be able to get into something that's really convoluted and feels like you missed a few seasons of it. There has to be that thing where you say, hey, do you, you know, do you like Batman? Yeah, but I don't. And then you can hand them a copy of this. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And then you say this, this is pretty much it kind of explains who he is. And those are um, always the best stories to me as well. When you look at like some of my favorite <clears throat> stories that are most highly regarded stories, it's always like the ones like that, that yeah. people always gravitate to like anybody could really grab. Well, I always used to, I always used to, and I'm glad they're putting them out again. I always used to hand people when, when they wouldn't understand it. Like I was, uh, in college or, or if I'm just, people would rag on me, uh, comic books. I would always take a collected version of Engelhart and Rogers run on detective. Mm. And I would say, this is why mm. I love them. And when they would read those, what is that? It's only like seven issues, right? Six or seven, eight issues, something like that. But they're perfect, perfect Batman. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's the pole star I steer by, actually. Mm. So uh, whenever I get too far from it, I read that and I go, okay, that you got to stay within this and do whatever. It, because there's such a wealth of things that you can do. Mm. And I would show that to people and say, this is a perfect Batman. It's a perfect rogues gallery. It's a perfect everything. Now it's kind of hard to find that. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff out there that it's hard to find that thing. And that was, I'm glad that you're saying that because the intent was for Kings of Fear to kind of be this thing. Mm. Um, we had to change the title. Initially, it was called The Master of Fear. And I guess they had something else called The Master of Fear or something to do like that. So we couldn't use that because The Master of Fear was to be ambiguous. Who is The Master of Fear? Is it the Scarecrow or Batman? So, But it was okay because Rob Lee did such a good logo design that it had that pulpy look that I wanted anyway. So I, you know, it kind of changed the, the meaning, but it was okay. Mm. Um and again, the 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 thing that made King's work for me is so many little scenes in each issue all kind of stick together. Mm-hmm. Um, so many good moments in each issue that we would talk about that. Scott and I would say, he would say, well, what do you think this one or that one? And I'd say, I don't know uh, the bigger picture. I have an idea. But I said, but what I want is this, this, and this to happen. You figure out how to stitch it together. and And then you'll have an interesting book. 
once you've done six issues of that and it's all collected, that's a lot of interesting scenes. So you'll have the scene with the little girl, which I think is a incredibly good Batman scene. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, I think the scene, I think the scene where at the end, the little, uh, accountant records keeping girl is telling her story to Batman on how he changed her life by, by changing her husband's life. I think that, that there's so many of these little scenes that when you put them all together, it, it makes for a pretty dense read. It really I mean, a lot, does. a lot of good moments in it. And I, and that's kind of a philosophy I, I've always stuck by is you don't want, I mean, these things cost a lot now mm. and you're asking people a lot to come to it every month. So there's gotta be a lot there. I could even see this in like an animated format as well. Mm. Like it just the way it flows and the way it's well, written, it has, you guys, you guys it's definitely a pretty strong it. arc. And that's, and the thing is with it, a lot of books don't have that arc anymore. Yeah. So there's a beginning, middle and end and it comes full circle. Yeah. You know what? It's, it, there's a payoff too. Yeah, you know that you think that's not too much to ask for these days, but have to admit, man, we don't get many payoffs in comics these days. I don't know what it is about the writing or whatever, but it's it's well. I think I think what happened is is there's uh, there's an attempt to try to be something different rather than to just tell that story. One thousand percent. Everyone is trying to do the next big thing. Oh, this is my personal. Dark Knight Returns, or I'm gonna do this because no one's ever done this before, and and when pe- people feel so compelled to do that, I think we we miss out on a lot of good things. When you oh, you just we sure do. You know, just... we should do. I th- I think what you can do is is look at those things and realize that they become dated at the moment they're released. Right. And because they're trying to follow something that you can't really do. You you need to be followed. You can read. Uh, and I'm not saying you have to like it or dislike it or whatever, but you can read uh, uh, Miller's Dark Knight and realize that if it came out now, it would still be powerful. It yeah. would still it would still do it because even though it came out 30 plus years ago, um, it's timeless yeah. because it wasn't trying to do that. It was it was one guy trying to speak to you. You can read Englehart and Rogers, and it could come out now. Again, because it's two guys speaking directly to you. Mm. So you can go back to any time. And when that's in place and you have the good fortune of a publisher and an editor saying, OK, we're going to step back and let that happen. Mm. That's that's a rare thing. I, I was very fortunate, like you said, to work under Archie, to work under uh, Denny in particular. Mm. And uh, certainly let DC me let me handle Batman for three years unconnected to other books is that's the last time that happened. You haven't lost your touch at all, man. I don't. I don't know if we could really say that about anyone else who's like a, a proper veteran in the game at this point in this industry. And well, and I, I, I do appreciate that. I've had peers of mine tell me that when they've looked at it. Yeah, and it's they, like they, not an inch lost, man. Like, yeah, it's like you, say. Mm-hmm. I, and I and I do. I am aware of that. I I do realize. Look, I again, I'm a fan. I can see it with other people too. Yeah. I'll go and it's it's like. You know, w- wouldn't it be great if the Beatles made a record again if they were, you know, if they're all still alive and go, no, 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 because you can't go. It, that's impossible, right? N- now, maybe they could. Mm. But yeah, I would rather them not do it and, and just have them leave. So I'm very aware of when you come back to that character, yeah. are you going to bring something? And did you draw it all on your trusty, I think, your wooden board that you had forever? Oh, the- yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've had this. The drawing board I use 
has been since the second year I was on the Micronauts. Yep. The, the so, board. so this old board, and it's not a big board, and it's not a fancy board, and I can take it from room to room because it folds up. Mm. And it, I have nothing. There's no, I, my studio is a disaster area. <laughs> um, it's it's but it's all you know i don't use uh but number two kids pencils pretty much still you know everything i nothing technical it's all you know pencil and ink and very simple i i, I don't i still haven't figured it out on this level before i even going to want to try something technical now uh i let everyone else do that and more power to them but i think i can stay keep a more eccentric look yeah. uh, a more personal look um, I think Kings of Fear worked really well because um, there's still that very hands-on, I'm touching it still, I'm messing with it. Uh, as, as artsy-fartsy as that sounds, there, there is some truth to that. I mean, being able to physically manipulate it with your fingers mm. is, is there's, there's, it, it's, very, it, it's more life to it to me. Yeah, and then the note to our listeners to get pick up the Kings of Fear hardcover because in the back there's a preliminary character study section for the arkham villains by kelly jones and it's uh it's really cool to flip through and see all like the preliminary yeah that, that surprised me that you i mean they said do you have anything and i said well all i really had were a few bits and pieces because i was trying to work a few things out yeah. uh anyway and while doing it i had drawn a couple covers that i thought would be perfect and then when i actually got the scripts they didn't work mm. so um now, oh, like I, the tombstone cover and the one when yeah, you jump through. Yeah, to me it didn't work as well as I thought they could. Mm. Um, they they seem too generic. Now I'm thinking, what the hell was I thinking? They they turned out pretty good, but that's how that's part of the process is mm. is you can like I said sometimes overthink it while you do it and then overthink it on my own reaction. Everything I do is created from a more emotional state because that's how I look at art. I get excited mm. or a, if it's a comic or a movie or an, a record, I don't sit there and, and dissect it clinically and say, why does this work and why this doesn't? It's just, wow, that's great. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's or, what a true or, artist does, man. It comes from... I, you have um, to. I think that's just being a fan though, right? That's what makes you be a fan. Yeah, a fan, it's, it's, a fan and passionate for the medium as well. Right, you know? right. And, and I am always going to be resistant that makes anything in comics, at least in my control, be an inch closer to any other medium. I mean, I, I think we mm. still have more to go in our own direction. I think, again, I, we keep bringing up Miller, but when Miller went from color to then doing Sin City in black and white, everyone's going, why go? That would be seen as a regressive move in if you were to say it just on paper. I'm going to go to be black and white. Well, what's the big deal? Until you see it. And then you realize yeah, I, this, this is infinitely more interesting than his color work. It is. It's just, you know, it applies to the parallel photography. You have a color photo, right. but everything changes and has more presence when you take the color away and it's a black and white photo. Great riff in a song that has feedback. Distortion. Mm, right. It, you could play it perfectly, but it would never have the same power. As if it's why there should always be a little flaw in something. Uh, fucking Kings of Fear. Thank you so much for the, this book, Kelly. Uh, before we get into the, the next section, uh, just out of curiosity, did you see the Joker movie yet? No, I plan on seeing it. I'm very interested in seeing it because everyone, uh, my kids have seen it and everyone around me has seen it. And they all say, you really should go see that. <laughs> Man. Uh, so I will go see. Cool. I, I can't imagine you not enjoying this film. I no, I, look, I love, I love their sensibilities 
And I loved everything I read about why they wanted to do it and and what they were trying to say. And the simple fact that that uh, there's there's still that exploration you can do with it, because mm. I think what happens is you can fall into just an easy by rote way to do a movie. Yeah. And and an easy way to to, to show these people. I think uh, I have no like I'll hear people say, what's the best of this or that? And I go, well, I enjoy uh, Tim Burton's Batman as much as Chris Nolan's Batman. They're different. Yes, mm. I, I can totally dig it. I don't see the difference in that they're they're done with sincerity. Yeah, absolutely. So 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 uh, I, when I watch Burton's Batman, I'm thoroughly into it. When I watch Nolan's, same thing. I they're because both were done with a sincere respect for the character. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder if now with this Joker movie, if it's starting to become a reaction to things going on in Hollywood because. Martin Scorsese recently came out saying that the Marvel movies are theme parks and not real films. And well, look, I, I totally have no problem with 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 uh, uh, Scorsese giving his opinion on that. That's completely fine with me. Mm. I have no trouble if these movies get this big. You got to remember, uh, it was Jaws that wiped out typical seventy cinema, the what he was used to. Mm. It became the blockbuster. It was Jaws. So it's so more to the point. I would say it would be a blockbuster. Would right. Mm. Star Wars wiped at if what what Jaws started, Star Wars finished off. Mm. So it became a movie that could make an enormous amount of money and play for a couple months and okay, yeah. rather than these very small movies that if you made it for a million dollars, you felt good. If you made four million, that's what they would do in a two-hour period. You know, on a release. So I obviously it's going to change, and it's going to change the way a studio reacts to it. So I can understand perhaps his frustration at saying something, saying that because then the question doesn't become what is the story. It's going to be how much money do we make? Right. Mm. But where he can go, where you can go, is I found actually in general I find much more interesting stories being told on streaming television. You know, yeah. Right. So, so there's there's always a way. If I want to see those things, I can go and watch. Uh, Peaky Blinders came out with the fifth season. I'll go. I'm looking forward to that. Now, yeah. I don't know how many people would go to a Peaky Blinders movie if it was mm. just that, but where you can find it and get actually more scope and enjoyment is on streaming. I the Fargo TVs, the first True Detective series. Yeah. Have you seen a Mindhunter oh, as well? Oh, Mindhunter's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think I think those are brilliant. So I don't really see you get one or the other. I would only say that that he would probably have sold his soul to do Taxi Driver as a streaming one season show. Wow. You could do a hell of a lot more. When you hear people say things like that, it's because not seeing it at us and our lowbrow taste. It's because they have to go and pitch things to people who go. But why can't there be a, a you know <laughs> a, a big fight scene? <laughs> Marty, why can you put a guy with a cape in it? You know it, that's what he's going to hear, yeah. and and so there's there's very few filmmakers who um, are going to say what he said. But you know he's in his seventies. He's done what he's done. He fine with me. Hmm. Um, it, but I got what he meant. Uh, it's it is something when you're working. And trying to do something personal, it's very hard at that point. But I think, hey, the Joker guy seems to have solved it. It's a personal film, you know. <laughs> I think, but to be honest, I think Guardians of the Galaxy was a personal film. When that came out, I was all dead set to go. Why would I want to see this? 
And then I watched it and went, why would I not want to see this 10 times in a row? (laughs) You know, because it was an individual personal statement. It wasn't trying to be, it it was, it was just what they felt they thought was going to be interesting. And it, it happened. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to both sides of that argument. I don't think it's an either or. I mean, sometimes I want Twinkies, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the old Twinkies before the new recipe, that is. Yeah, I want classic Twinkies. The ones that can survive a nuclear holocaust. I want the ones that right. they call, I remember now they call them something else, but I liked them when they were called chocodiles and they made them with chocolate. And that oh, was yeah. perfectly acceptable to me. Have totally you stocked up on the Frankenberry for the season? Look, isn't that a wonderful thing that something that, that if Mary Shelley could collect royalties, <laughs> she would be cleaning up man because i still see that guy's head everywhere oh he's yeah. bigger than that they're making like yeah. frankenberry tiki's now and everything uh, man he's uh... yeah because it's good and it's just wonderful you know those are good things so no it that's there's a certain charm to that stuff because um it's just so cool to go down an aisle and see something that doesn't look like everything else kind of like what we're seeing with comics so mm. yeah count chocula <laughs> frankenberry i i i i'm totally into it the, um, there was a time a few years ago where they had uh, Jim Lee redo the boxes for yeah. those cereals. I think we need, for Halloween time at least, Kelly Jones boxes. Oh, uh, my God. I, I think that would be a very bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, be, there would be a drop in sales. What the hell's in this? So, um, uh, you know. Uh, what I miss, actually, it's what I miss. I miss, and they won't do it anymore. But I miss when they used to put like little submarines and toys in these things. Yeah. Uh, the the special pro- not just some stickers or something, but like something really cool in there. Mm. Uh, I I used to dig. I used to really dig cereal when you know it was clearly aimed at being uh, a kid thing. Go to your current work. You're working on some Star Wars stuff now. Yeah, I did. I did last year. I did a. um, They they were doing uh, some Halloween stories for a for Star Wars, and an old editor of mine had called me up and said uh, from Batman days and said, "Would you like to do uh, do this?" And because he we'd always talked how you know Star Wars, I'd always enjoyed the uh, the old stuff and whatever, and um, he said because it's we're gonna make. Count Dooku is Christopher Lee as the lead, and I'd re- and we're going to kind of riff on him having been Dracula. <laughs> wow! Um, so I went, I jumped at that, and said, "Well, of course." And so, of course, I didn't have time, but I did it anyway. Nice. Um, and then they got a hold of me and said, "Look, we're going to do like a bookend to it this year, and uh, we're doing Grand Moff Tarkin, who is Peter Cushing." And of course, I said, "Yes, I have to do that." Wow. So it was a, it was a big deal, and also I just had to draw a, a classic Star Wars Star Destroyer. I needed to do that; it's in my DNA. So it was pretty it was, amazing. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to do to do the classic Star Wars stuff that way. Um, I don't know if they'll you know if they'll ever have me back to do that. But no, it looks I, amazing. They, there'd be fools not to. Yeah. I thank you. It was an absolute. Again, it's one of those things that when you love something, it just flows out of you. I've I've always loved science fiction. I don't really get asked a lot to do those things, so whenever I get them, get something like that, I jump at it. It's very cool. Is it just those two issues that you're doing the interiors on, or? Uh, I, yeah, I done 
uh, like I said, did the one last year and I did this one this year. And what was nice was they expanded it rather than just a five or six page story. I think it's like 16, 17, 18 pages, something like that. Wow. It's a pretty big story. It's almost a full issue. Ooh, Batman and Star I haven't got Wars. A chance. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't got a chance to read the Star Wars yet. Did you, uh, did you draw Vader in any of those uh, issues? Vader? No, I think no. Because I would really love to see like a badass cape on Vader. Yeah, oh, you know, man. maybe if they do one next year, I'll say, okay, give me classic Vader. Wow. <laughs> because I I would like to do something with that. It it's just I think uh, part of the reason was I had always talked how much I like Star Wars, but how much I enjoyed the old Hammer films mm-hmm. and oh. how they were a big influence when I did Red Rain. At that point this editor remembered that and always used to, you know, talk to me about those, those movies anyway. So <clears throat> obviously when you have Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee, you know, that's the only chance I'm really going to get to draw them. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was what was in his thinking. But, you know, I was, I was very pleased with how this latest one they sent to me the other day and it did look pretty good. I mean, I thought, I thought they did a great job of coloring it and everything. Wow. Or tops in the 90s. Yeah, I did a card for them. I and I think and, that uh, that was Vader and Tarkin, I think. Yes, and and what was very cool, there's a neat little story, a sad one, but uh, when I did Tarkin, that was the first time any of the uh, licensing people had seen anyone do something with Tarkin. They had made some little figure of him many years ago, but no one had, you know, whenever they were soliciting from artists, I was the first guy who ever did it. So they liked it so much that they uh, were showing it at in Marin County. They, at that time, they had um, his studios were there, the uh, Industrial Light and Magic. So they they showed it. Uh, they asked if I would send it and I sh- and to show it because it was it was that. And my thing was that once they were done. Uh, because he was still alive then, I said, you know, I would really like it if you'd send that on to Peter Cushing, you know, uh, because it was in a frame. And and they said, you know, that's we will do that because initially they wanted to buy it. But I said, you know, I don't want to sell it. I want to give it to him. And um, with all the paraphernalia they do within two weeks of me saying that, I, that's when he had passed away. Wow. So so they were all intent. Anyway, they sent it back to me, which was good, because I still didn't want to sell it to him, because it was the at that time. Now there's thankfully a lot of it. But that was, you know, they weren't making the movies. They were just doing kind of thing a little thing here, a little thing there. Mm. Um, and I always wanted to get his reaction to it. That's I'm awesome. looking at the card right now for the first time. It's a very interesting interpretation of Vader. Yeah. Mm. Well, I saw him as always doing what Tarkin said. And in the first film, he does. He is not, you know, they changed everything later, but initially it was Tarkin was in charge. And he was the guy saying what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. And Vader's the one who answers to him. Yeah, in A New Hope, he says, Vader, release him. Yeah, now. choking the dude. Or when he he threatens him and says, this better work. You know, when they, you know, we put a, a little tracing thing on the Millennium Falcon he says, you know, I'm taking an awful chance, so this had better work. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, he's in charge is what it means. I, we, uh, I see we just put a, a post up um, saying that we currently have Kelly Jones on the show and talk about Kings of Fear, and people are uh, commenting, actually raving about the book, that they really like it as well. So that's, well, that's awesome I, to see. <laughs> that, look, it's one of those things that, that I think – kind of snuck up on dc as well you know they they were very supportive don't get me wrong but it wasn't like i said part of a big thing 
So, um, in fact, I know it came within a hair's breadth of being nominated for an Eisner. Wow. So, uh, but holy hell. Well, you know, that it was very kind of some of the judges getting a hold of me and telling me that they didn't have to, but it was very nice of them to tell me that I didn't even think it, I didn't think of it in those terms. Uh, I thought of it as, as man, if I could just get out, like you were saying that after all these years, if I can get out something that kind of speaks to my sensibilities on this character, uh, cause you know, I got to do it with Gotham after midnight and stuff like that. So mm. every 10 years, if they let you come back to something like that, you're grateful. And, uh, but the reaction had been very strong and it was one of those things where, uh, DC would say, you know, this this book is uh, for whatever it is, it's selling out, yeah, and it's mm. very well. Um, yeah. So I was very grateful, mm. and boy, I'm I'm always happy to hear that because it is a personal book. All our listeners, make sure, if you don't have it yet, to all listeners, make sure you pick that hardcover up, Kings of Fear by Kelly Jones Scott Peterson. Before we let you get up on out of here, we just want to do a uh, a Halloween themed lightning round for this year. Okay. Um, What is your favorite Halloween treat? If I had to say what my favorite Halloween treat would be, it would be the $100,000 bar. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, All right. What about the favorite? What is your favorite Halloween trick? My favorite Halloween trick is telling my kids that I was going to give them something really good and tell them whatever that thing is. And at the last second, uh, not produce it. So <laughs> that reminds me um, of that gag that Jimmy Kimmel pulls on people, where he asks parents to pretend that they've eaten all the Halloween candy yeah. the morning after, yeah. and to film the kids' reaction. Yes, it is a blast to torment children. <laughs> I mean, it is an absolute blast. I I used to, uh, I shouldn't say this. Well, now they're old enough, so so it's okay. And if they take them away from me, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I had one of those, uh, I had one of those, uh, you know, uh, old Frankenstein masks you used to order from the back of Famous Monsters or whatever. Mm. And I had this Dracula cape. And I would just put the Frankenstein mask on and the cape and stand at the end of the hall with the lights off. I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> and the kids, would they, would, they wouldn't know I was there until they would notice. Mm. And as soon as they would look, I would just start walking at them very briskly. Oh, my God. And they would freak out. Okay. (laughs) Um, And they never got used to it, which was funny because I'm going, who do you think it is? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It only takes once. (laughs) Yeah. But but it's one of those things that that I hear them now tell their friends. And I go, boy, I hope they're telling it in the right way. (laughs) (laughs) And it was fun. Not like psycho right. dad you know he dresses up like this and mm. uh, but that always used to be fun and that's something that you know i now they get it all but it, that was a, always a blast i think everyone has a psycho relative story though yeah <laughs> it's usually not your father <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised <laughs> um you might have you might have uh, answered this one at the beginning but what is your favorite halloween decoration that you have probably for me i have this it's a uh it's older and they made it, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago or something. But it was like this, uh, I don't know, like three or four feet tall, kind of plastic formed. You know how they have Santa Claus? You know, mm-hmm. somebody made Bella Lugosi Dracula. Oh, wow. And you put a little light in it and you plug it in. And I love that. And it's tied with this wall sconce of Frankenstein that uh, Universal made. 
again about 30 years ago and i and and those have always been they're just like pure halloween to me mm. um, and i love this time of year because i can take them out right or or as you say just position them in a place well, where well, now everyone yeah just move them around the house <laughs> yeah. uh, what is your favorite halloween movie to get into the spirit see that's that's a tough one probably obviously hocus pocus probably yeah there you go Probably for me, it would be uh, Vincent Price in The House of Usher. Oh, wow, okay. Good one. Um, what is something, what is an, a Halloween event that you have to do every year? Something that you have to do every year to celebrate? I, for me, it's, I uh, obviously it's carved pumpkins, but what I do is I have this gnarly old almond tree that's half dead, and I put them all in the branches li- <laughs> when I light them. I I put them in the tree all as high as I can put them on all these weird branches, and uh, that then it's pure Halloween to me. That's, that's it's, awesome. Is that... it's very creepy. It it actually is very creepy. Huh. Is that in your front yard? Uh, it there's one in my front yard that's not an almond tree, but it's a good tree for it. But this one's in the backyard. So oh, when, man. People, when people come over, it you can see it through the window, and it that's is awesome. It is creepy. Wow. Did you guys imagine a commissioned uh, Kelly Jones pumpkin? Oh, <laughs> hand carved Kelly Jones Halloween it's, pumpkin. That's they're, awesome. they're they're pretty. You know, I I do a pretty traditional one because I think I always loved uh, uh, I always loved the pumpkins in um, uh, the Disney Sleepy Hollow cartoon. Mm. Uh, and actually, then you get me into other things. Probably my favorite because you, you now you made me think on it. If there's a thing that's pure 100% Halloween to me that works like a charm and I save it is uh, Mr. Magoo, of all things. And it's Mr. Magoo. uh, There was a show they called Mr. Magoo's Literary Classics, and I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But their adaptation of Frankenstein is one of the great adaptations of Frankenstein. Mm. And it is such an original story that it could have been much bigger and a lot more frightening um, <laughs> as any of the other adaptions are because, uh, and I don't want to spoil it, but man, the monster's terrific. In fact, the voice of the monster is the guy who did Robbie the, Robbie the Robot. So he had oh, this voice. From Lost in Space? Uh, no, Robbie's from Forbidden Planet. Oh, okay. And uh, so anyway, it's it's this very deep baritone voice. It's wonderful. But anyone who sees it, it's 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 tremendous adaptation. And I know it's been written up as one of the better, oddly enough, uh, one of the better adaptations of Frankenstein. Very cool. And it's only like 23 oh. minutes, 24 minutes. Oh, it's like a perfect little It is episode. perfect. It's perfect Halloween. Do you, cool. Do you have a favorite Halloween animated special? Huh, that's tough. There's a lot of good stuff that that mm. I dig. Obviously, there's always you know uh, the Great Pumpkin, which yeah. mm. which, yeah. nails, which actually nails it when um, Snoopy's shot down behind enemy lines during World War One. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> and you hear that you hear the train off in the distance as he's trying to get out of uh, get back to wherever he's supposed to be. But uh, certainly that, certainly like I said, Mr. Magoo, I love uh, Disney's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. I think that. Classic. That's just absolutely wonderful. So good, um, and uh, and it works for me all the time. There's, it's. See, there was another one. Have you ever good. seen the Garfield animated Halloween? No, uh, I haven't. I haven't seen that. Oh, that's my favorite. It's from like '85, and it's just, it's really classic. You know, for me, there's there's a handful of these things that just work all the time. 
Uh, like I said, the 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 Magoo one just yeah. uh, I think probably because how loud the monster yells. When oh. I was a kid, that you know yelling is always scary, and it it's loud, but it's terrific and beautifully drawn. Mm. Oh, what about the the Halloween tree? You ever see the Halloween tree? Uh, Halloween tree is terrific too. Terrific. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is terrific. Well, funny. anything, anything. Also, I I love you know at this time of year. I always usually every few years I'll I'll reread something wicked this way comes uh, or any of uh, the great. If if there's something I would love to do is it's adapt Bradbury's story of the Elliots who are Creepy. like. Yeah, if you've ever read those, they're they're just. I think um, those are some of the finest uh, stories that he ever wrote, and I knew you can tell he loved doing them. Uh, but there's this, and he wrote them over the course of of a number of years. But he would, you know, each short story would be part of it. But it's of this one little boy they adopt, who's completely normal mortal, who lives with monsters. Hmm. Cool. And his, and his power, everyone is this. His power is, of course, it's a he's a writer. Oh, that's awesome! So, so those those are those are always terrific for. I mean, absolutely wonderful for Halloween. But there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, I love uh, the Corman's Post Cycle. Obviously, the old Universal classics are great. Mm. Uh, Curse of the Demon uh, is a perfect Halloween film to me. Um, if you've not seen that, you must see that. I think it's on TCM even tonight. So. Oh, no way. Uh, but that is a classic of, uh, upon that everything kind of emanates from me with that one too. Mm, um, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff like that. Have you ever seen that the movie that came out a couple of years ago? That's really popular now. Uh, trick or treat. Like, yes, I had, uh, it, uh, a very cool little anthology film. Yeah. Uh, and it was echoing, Echoing the uh, great Amicus films mm. uh, like Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, the great From Beyond the Grave, oh, wow. uh, Vault of Horror. There's some ter- man From Beyond the Grave is still terrifying. Mm. Um, uh, Torture Garden. There's some really great anthology films. Uh, the House That Dripped Blood is terrific. Uh, Asylum mm. is terrific. Uh, and and so they they did a good job of doing doing those in fact i just finished doing uh a lot of illustrations for the creep show tv series oh wow that's awesome and yeah well it was a lot of work with because they're echoing those sil- you know 22 minutes and out type of stuff where you just tell a story you don't have to follow some grand epic it's like mm. here's something scary kids if that doesn't scare you how about this you know i, I love that kind of thing mm. um, so it was, and that was a blast to work on because I grew up loving Creepshow, both the the movie and the comic book. Uh, do, do you uh, you have Shutter then? You mess with Shutter and all that stuff? Uh, you know, I got it uh, after uh, when they called to see if I would do it. They had they had asked if I would just do. Uh, there was one illustration they wanted, yeah, and then it turned into more and more and more. So <laughs> nice, and, it, which is good. So they used all of my art for the credits of the show, which was really cool. And and I've gotten to work on several of the episodes. So uh, not so much in doing design. They do all their own, but just sort of doing illustrations for it, which was a blast. Man, I, I, who else gets phone calls to do Batman, Star Wars, and Creepshow Horror? That's, 
it's, <laughs> That's it's amazing, weird, man. It is a weird life, I will tell you. <laughs> it's a fair, but again, I, the fan part of me is so strong mm. that I'm as giddy as anyone else. Not like, ooh, I got a job or anything. It's just, wow, I, I'm totally nerdy about with creep show i was jumping up and down yeah that's awesome man that's right um, and the fact that that you you know they kind of said hey just do your thing which is so you're always grateful for that but to just be a you know no matter what i always tell people that no matter what if you're going to do stuff as an artist uh your your headstone is your legacy whatever that may be so i don't think i'm not so so uh taken with myself that i think i'll be remembered as myself as an individual but i do think i have a good shot of just having been a part of batman then you know well you know 100 years from now they'll still because it's a cultural thing um that will be remembered and in no small part i got to be involved in it so that's that was always my once i did that i went okay now i can rest (laughs) you know i don't have to i can just now be myself and not worry because that that part will be taken care of so it, it that's the fanboy element you know i never never take that for granted every time they ever asked me it was like wow just as exciting as the first time because you know um the world moves on and it's time to see new stuff and that's the way it should be mm. well for my final question i want to know New York pizza. I love New York pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. Actually, I, was, <laughs> I love. Someone called that. Someone called that pizza was going to come up in this episode. Someone actually New called. York pizza. That's yeah, because that's that's exactly when we were going to do this. I it made me think of it, and I told my wife we're having pizza tonight, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could mail you Rose's pizza. I don't think it would make it to California that well, but, oh, man, I wish I could, like, overnight you some and it would be – but my question was Vampira or Elvira? Uh, are we talking uh, – oh, you mean, yes, the classic. Well, obviously it would have to be Elvira for me. My man. Now, there's, a, there's a reason that it is, and obviously there's two reasons for most people. But uh, for me, uh, it's it's – she had that really good – uh, kind of uh, sarcastic attitude, uh, but it's all done with respect to the material. Yeah, you know, she, she didn't put the material down. Um, and there's there's just I always dig the respect. I I loved out here. Uh, we had a great horror host. I think we were the luckiest people out here, and his name was Bob Wilkins. And he didn't dress up, and he didn't do spooky stuff or whatever. He would actually read the tv guide of telling you what was better on that you should be watching Mm. um but he would have these movies on and it's he did a very clever thing he would invite it's like the first time i ever saw people who drew comics Mm. he would have them on and this is years ago before any of the coolness i mean the, the show was off the air in the early 80s so uh but he would have uh these great interviews with uh, Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing or whoever, uh, he would have the Star Trek people on or the people who ran comic book shops. Mm. And so it was a real fan-oriented thing. And then he'd run these incredibly great movies. And he's the only guy who would beat Saturday Night Live Wow! Wow! in the wow. ratings. And the reason he did was he was very wise that nobody cared on the channel he was on you know, about his show. Mm. So he would run... 
Hammer films unedited. Well, there's some that are pretty good, (laughs) (laughs) especially when you get to the Karnstein films. So he would run vampire lovers unedited. And there's a lot of unclad vampire ladies in that. Mm. So, of course, that's going to beat the hell out of Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Uh, But he used to do these very kind of uh, subversive things. He was very dry, very funny. Um, uh, And it was it was local television at its best, you know, kind of uh, I see Sven Gulli kind of has recaptured that people miss everything is so corporate from a central bank that you miss the old local television, you know? He was an advertising guy for a local station and they just tapped him in to do it because somebody didn't show up for work one day. Oh, that's how... <laughs> so that's how so they said, work. can you run this movie? Can you just host this movie? Because we got to have someone do it. They had bought the rights to all these movies. Mm. So, uh, but he's the first one, for example, to run Night of the Living Dead. Wow. Uh, he loved that movie. He did see it. And he thought it was exceptional. He got however they got to do it uh he was the first one to run it and that's what i remember i didn't see it in the theater i saw it on television it works better on television because it happens on television in the story uh you know they're list they're looking at a tv and you see these guys telling everyone stay in their house and you're watching this little thing and i'll always appreciate bob wilkins for running that but Kelly, man, we just want to thank you so much for your time and for never cutting corners. Because, like you said, you, yeah. you're fan first, and you understand how you know fans are as well. And it's always evident in the work that you haven't aged a day, my friend. That work is just gorgeous. And thank that, you. And Kings of Fear, man, is just a, it's just an amazing Batman book. Thank you very, very much. Look, that if if there's anything you can say to me, it would be that. You know, you didn't have to say, you know, you let's talk about the stuff you did 25 years ago. Yeah, it's always good when they when they throw in something recent and you say what you say that. Yeah, it does this heart good. It, it is cool to see something from uh, back getting the uh, the statue treatment. Finally, though, uh, with the XM studio statue that you have coming out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I forgot about that. That's... Yeah. Uh, I look, they did a great job with it. I was uh, very pleased when Funko did the little. Vampire, yeah, vampire. that's cool um and that it sold as well as it did that they were very kind in letting me know that it did exceptional for them uh and because it is kind of gruesome looking um no i've been very i've always been very happy that that uh the red rain universe kind of it, it's still there they still use it mm. um i know the books sell well because i see the quarterly royalty statement so they still do well it's it's just nice that that has stuck around yeah we need to see some more dead man statues and some swamping statues i will endlessly keep it dc to let me do uh a dead man story i want to do so i'll i will keep um we'll push it as well well, 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 actually before we let you go let's throw it out there what what is your wish list or what would you want to do at dc like what, what are your top one or two things that you would well, like? yeah, let's say the end of deal comes to you and, says, hey, Kelly. And, and on top of that who would you want to write well it? it would it would be on the on um for batman there is one they want us to do want Ooh. me to do it. so uh and that one i've said you know absolutely when the time ha- when i finish this stuff up i'm doing mm. and they so make that all available and everything I, that I will do. And, and that would determine, uh, the length of it. whatnot. It would be a long thing. It would be 
a number of issues, but they are the ones who approach me on it and ask me. So that I would do. And the other was, uh, would be dead man. Mm. Um, this dead man story that I want to do. And that will just be a timing thing, but I, I will constantly pester them to do it. So, mm. um, uh, because it's a pure, a, a, a pure horror story. There's nothing superhero in it. He doesn't, uh, he would look the skeletal way I do him and all that. Great. Um, but there's nothing superhero and it would be purely gothic Ooh. and, uh, it would be, you know, th- again, as with Kings, there would be things I would do with him that hadn't been done before that to me seem obvious, but no one's done them. So I think, and they're very upsetting. So, uh, I, that, that's one that, that I would, and I love the title of it. It's, it, it it's called mold. Whoa. So it, it would be very, very, and only five issues because you get in, you get out. But it's it's pretty heavy, so mm. that I would want to do. Those are the two things, in particular. Nice. Um, I mean, uh, as far as as far as off the top of my head. But mm. like I said, I'm very lucky right now. I'm working with Joe Hill. We're doing a lot of stuff. So, um, not not bad company, huh? Not <laughs> bad. I mean, and and pure horror, wow. which sometimes uh, a refreshing thing for me is to just do something along those lines yeah. where. There's the the tropes are very different than superhero, mm. and you there's a lot of freedom in how to express yourself. So mm. I'm grateful for for that opportunity. Yeah, after all these years, still allowed to do it. <laughs> I, I'm so happy that uh, you're part of the uh, new Hill House Comics uh, imprint. Yeah, it was well. It was one of the. It, came, it was out of left field. I I uh, had done a uh, issue of Lucifer because it was written in. Uh, to have taken place uh, about 150 years earlier. Mm. And they were having a hard time finding people who wanted to do that. Of course, I love that. Any time other people say no, I want to do it. Um, so they had seen that, and at the same time, Joe was looking for someone to handle one of the books that took place in an earlier time. Very gothic type of thing. Mm. And he had wanted me to do something else, but when he saw this, he says, well... We'll do the something else, but I want you to do this one first because it takes pl- because of the the time frame in which it it takes place. Um, and <clears throat> it it is something that I don't like to pre-sell things because you always disappoint people, but it's amongst the best stuff I've done because of that because it's there's not a controlling kind of it's like it's brand new, so you have to come up with it. yeah. You just, uh, you know, you, you, it kind of reminds me of, of other things I've done where, where they don't really know how it's to look. They just know what they kind of don't want. So I'm allowed to kind of go to town on it. Well, we look forward to that too and everything you're doing because it's, it's quite a bit, man. <laughs> well, thank you. It seems like a lot. I, I tend to, every year I say I would like to do, you know, just do a little less, but it, a lot of good stuff is coming up. Right. So yeah, um, it's hard to say no to it. Yeah. Anytime your juices get flowing, it, you you don't want to say no. Joe Hill, Batman, Star Wars, Creep Show. That's like, uh, there's not another person, not another artist in the world yeah. that can tackle, be asked to tackle all those things. That's well, that's uh, again, I, because I came up the way I did. You were kind of asked. It was assumed you would do it, especially in horror. Yeah. Because a horror story, you have to draw a lot of regular stuff or a lot of what a lot of artists would consider boring, and you have to be interesting. Mm. Yeah. So 
uh, and you have to you have to work in shadow. You have to work in in a lot of ways. So, but I find that exciting. That's a real good challenge. Um, yeah. And and to make it interesting. And all my heroes could do it. You know, I would read a Wally Wood story, and or or a, a, some of Bernie's Warren work would be the payoff would be just the last panel. Mm. You know. Yeah. So. I, but I found myself enthralled by those stories and and really drawn into it. You throw in something like Batman, then it just gets better, you know. As far as then people people will jump on that train a little sooner. But you do get the ability. I was lucky in that I was thrown a lot of those challenges uh, with Sandman. Uh, I still think the best single issue of Sandman, not just per my involvement, but because. Uh, I thought it was so different was the issue with cats because one, nobody wanted to do it. And the other was there was no people in it. Mm. So you, you, it does force you to stretch that muscle a little bit. And then you find it's a lot of fun. I forgot about Sandman too. What a resume. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, you know, it's one of those things that, that just sort of stuff when you mention these things, it just sort of floats in your head of, why you do stuff or why things work. And I think that's it. It's a lot of training. Mm. I mean, I would love to say, I would love to say I'm just so naturally gifted. It just flows out. No, it's, you have to, you have to go through and have anxiety when someone offers you something and it says, Oh, by the way, there's no people in this for 22 issues or 22 pages. And it's just cat. <laughs> that's true. And not, not too many other people who want to tackle no, that. And, or, you know, or something that is only, you know, like dead man was, clearly neil adams baby mm, yeah and and even great people who did it always were in the shadow of it so how do you you know that's those are good kind of equations to solve well you certainly have and with that said we just want to thank you so much and ladies and gentlemen make sure to go out and pick up kings of fear illustrated by our amazing talented friend kelly jones for the second annual Kelly Jones Bat Force Radio Spooktacular episode. We are honored to have to talk to you and we are privileged to have read work and look at work like Kings of Fear. So thank you for all the good stuff you do. And we're looking forward to uh the stuff you got in the future too, especially with DC because uh now I'm really curious about what that Batman book's gonna be. So <laughs> I, it's look, it's the the thing they proposed to me was surprising. Ooh. And and Whoa. I was I was going, wow, that it was very much an honor what oh. they had said. So so I, you know, at that point, I don't it would there would be no way I could say no to it. Just mm-hmm. the nature of what they had asked. So, yeah. you know, <clears throat> um, it'll get done. I, I can't say exactly when it will start, but I, I there the people in charge all made me shake hands on it, which was a big wow. for them. So is it going to be? <laughs> yeah, is it, it going to be similar to? Similar to like Kings of Fear, where it's something that you don't have to have like a foot into any storyline. You could just kind of jump in. Yeah, it would be. You could just go, you could just do it. Nice, cool. And and it was. Uh, it, I'll just leave it at that. Yes, you All right. that. because okay. it's 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 a very good. I, I it's something I never thought. I never even dreamed of it. It wasn't anything that I'd say. Yeah, I want to do that. It was their idea. Mm. Okay, and new reader friendly then. Yeah, yeah, and we also yeah, beautiful. absolutely. We also have to press and it, would be, and it would be done. It would be done in classic Batman style. So, cool. um, you, you know, it, it, which which is where I do think not for any other. I think he works best that way. He's he's still more unique in that classic style. Yeah, that's true. And Robin, we still have to push DC for uh, the Kelly and Doug Batman omnibus. I think. I think they really. Yeah, that, that, yeah. 
<clears throat> well, hell, that would be big. If they put in uh, Red Rain and mm. the 90s run, that Ooh. would be a big damn book. I think that needs Go to on. be in absolute format, actually. There's no reason those three books uh, shouldn't be in an absolute format. So we Yeah. Have- we gotta like, I like to think that there's so much to put into it. They're having trouble figuring out how to make the volumes. So maybe that's just where they're at. I, I was always pleased that the uh, the hardcover reprints of our run sold out as quickly as they did and at the numbers they did. Mm. So, but, but that's part of it was because they had not been reprinted. After 20 years or so, the fact that they had done that well meant there were people waiting, which was DC very much paid attention to that. Mm. That was very I was surprised by that too. I thought, oh God, they're gonna, you know, I'm happy they're doing it. They're gonna sit on cases of this, <laughs> but um, but it sold very well, and the second one sold very well. And knock on wood, something like what you said would too. We definitely need to um, plant some seeds over at editorial because uh, I think that's overdue. But... I, you know, you will not get any complaints. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but thanks again so much, Kelly, for everything. Thank you, and, guys. I, I really did appreciate uh, and enjoy doing this. Uh, we great. We had a great time. Yeah, and uh, and we'll be in touch. And you best believe we're promoting the hell out of Kings thank of Fear and everything much. else you do, of course, as well. But Okay, uh, well, thank you. That that does that means a hell of a lot to me. It really does. Well, you, your work means a lot to us, and that's, that's just the truth. So but thanks again. Oh, and if we don't talk to you before, then have a great Halloween. Halloween. And you guys, too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I'm getting ready. It looks like we'll have a lot of trick-or-treaters this year, so I look forward oh, to that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's yeah. Cool. This is Professor Pig thanking you for listening to Bat Force Radio. As some of you may already know, Batman has stuck me and thrown me into Arkham Asylum. However, I do have an accomplice who is out there right now at this very minute kidnapping all the good people of Gotham, chopping them up into bits, and stuffing them in his trunk. Yes, <laughs> I'm talking about the trunkler. The trunkler, and he will come for the children of Gotham in the night. <sighs> oh, he will make them perfect. He will make them just like Pig. He will make them beautiful. <laughs> <sighs> Hi there, everybody. This is Tim Sale. Uh, You're listening to Bat Forest Radio. Hey, Gotham Dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs. Yeah.